Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 123rd episode of the Truth Island podcast. When we look into the past, we appear to see a world dictated by standards. Children quietly standing up for the Pledge of Allegiance and being taught proper grammar, people dressing in suits to take their very first airplane ride, and military fitness requirements that would give modern man a run for his money. When gazing through the lens of nostalgia, standards appear to us to be the gatekeeper of beauty. Standards, for example, can be said to separate a magnificent Renaissance painting from the forgettable ink splash that calls itself modern art. And yet, in more recent times, there has been a great upheaval of all standards under the philosophy of postmodernism, which suggests that all standards and measures of beauty are relative. For example, Is there such a thing as the perfect outfit, perfect hairstyle, perfect meal? There is something to be said that what is appreciated by some may not be appreciated by all. But does that mean we are also to embrace that which is enjoyed by none? The postmodernist would also push back that some of our greatest changes occur when we push back against standards, as standards need not always be correct, such as during the civil rights movement, Or how about when a standard has become so burdensome that it prevents people from even trying to make do, such as the jaded lover who simply cannot find Mr. Right. Standards protect us from the inadequacies and lost potential that can be found in each of us, but they can also serve as a perpetual limitation and source of anguish for those unable to reach them. Joining me to help find the right set of standards, I am once again joined by Kenny. Kenny, where have all our standards gone? Down the toilet, Aaron. Just down. <laughs> well, you know, I think I think that you know it's it's one of those things where you realize that we're living as far as I as far as I can see. And if anybody out there thinks you know uh, thinks differently, that's that's perfectly fine. But I think we're living in a very objective world. But I think we're subjective agents. So my friend um, Evan and I always talk about this, and this is uh, one of the theories that we've been discussing back and forth for a while is this the nature of uh, the subjective objective this the subjective objective nature of things in the sense that we believe that the idea is simply that there are there are various standards in this world there there, there are there are things that are you know in the in the code in the dna of this world that you know just don't change but each individual is going to observe those observe those standards and interact with them very differently based on their vantage points and based on, you know, so many other factors in the individual's life, because an individual is, is basically a, a, a walking, um, not to be, um, not to say a little bit of nonsense, but it, an individual is like a walking universe in the sense of they have so many um, little nuances that make them up, you know, their upbringing, uh, where they lived, you know, how they thought, cartoons and the shows and the books they read and so forth. And, it really does change the way it really does make a very interesting difference in the way one man sees one thing compared to a fellow who's standing, who's standing exactly um, to the, to the right of him. 
every every culture, every geographic locale has its own set of standards. Um, you know, even even like what constitutes a house, what constitutes poverty varies from places to place. That's why we always use the word like relative poverty, like, oh, well, this is considered poverty in America. And I'm like, well, that may not be considered poverty elsewhere in the developing world. So I, I think that standards do vary on culture. They vary on geographic location. Do you think it's right for each locality to have its own set of standards or, or even can, can those even fluctuate within those specific areas? Like, I think that, I think that me and my next door neighbor might have radically different standards, even though we inhabit the same exact space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, uh, I don't know that anybody has rights, but I think that, well, under the constitution, under, under the American constitution and the laws of the land, American citizens have certain rights. One of those rights is to absolutely think whatever the hell you want to think and say whatever the hell you want to say. And so it's perfectly natural and normal for an American citizen to have difference for American citizens living in the same community, but in different homes or even in the same home, just roommates have different standards for things. Now, this is this is a privilege given to you by the United States government. This is not the case. Oh, should I say this was not the case in Stalin's Russia? There are countries out there, there have been countries in the past where there's, you know, those those kinds of privileges, those kinds of, yeah, those kinds of rights um, weren't, weren't necessarily given to people. I want to, I actually want to, I think the roommate example is absolutely yeah. the perfect example to talk about standards. Okay. Yeah. You have two roommates, right? Think of the Thank odd couple. Think of the odd couple. Uh, you got your Oscar and your Felix. One guy really likes to keep that place clean. If they see any grease on the stove, that needs to be wiped. They love to meticulously put things in, in each place. And the other guy is a complete slob, right? Just like lets it hang loose, whatever. What happens when, you know, you have two individuals encompassing the same space? They're both roommates, yeah. one's slob, one's a neat freak. Should we say that, well, you know, I think the neat freak standards should, should, we should give more weight to the neat freak. They're trying to keep mm. things clean. They're trying to keep things orderly. I mean, I think very few people would actually come to the defense of the slob and be like, no, 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 just let the place completely decay into trash. But maybe that neat freak is way too uptight. Like may, maybe like, you know, we don't need, you know, something, some loose papers here and there are okay. So I'm wondering like when we have people that are forced to kind of cohabit the same space, how do they arrive at a universal standard, and we can use the example of roommates. How does how do roommates find a universal standard as to what constitutes an, a clean apart apartment when both of them have radically different ways of of like viewing what an apartment should look like? Well, I think that it's it comes because we're humans. It comes down to one of two things. It comes down to the rule of law, which is enforced by punishments, mm -hmm. or it comes down to love. And so that's the only that's that's the only sorry there's there's one more thing but it this this thing actually operates in the same way in the sense if it's a third party so a third party stepping in with either the rule of law with power and force to make sure that that no that both sides are getting maybe are, are meeting each other halfway mm -hmm. um, and there will be strict and swift punishments for any you know breakage of that law or the person comes in as a wise and caring leader or wise and caring voice and this, you know, distributes an, a, a certain amount of wisdom over the situation to, to rectify it. You've pointed out something very interesting here because 
what you've pointed out is that all standards are completely arbitrary to the context in which they're created. So for example, if you got two neat freaks living together, well, then that standard is incredibly high. Like both of them are neat freaks. Both of them have meticulously high standards of doing that. If you have two slobs to living together, well, then their standard is, you know, their standard. It's, it's incredibly low. So it's only that like conflict of standards in which a new standard is created. That's really interesting that you actually like in order to arrive at a new standard, you need to have two opposing parties that have differing standards of, of how things should look or be. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the place of philosophy. Or should I say wisdom specifically? Because wisdom calls cuts through the bullshit. It has the power to see, you know, for, 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 the, for, for the wise man is not a matter of, you know, which, you know, which one do I go with in the sense of which one is true and how true is it and, what, and to what extent. This, this standard may be true here, but it's not true here. While this other one works, you know, in this certain, in this certain scenario as well and falls short in another. And so it's a, it's a, it's a parsing out of those kinds of, those kinds of little, little details. Now, I want to talk about if uh, a standard could ever be just, now I, I know that all standards are subjective, but maybe the, some standards are a little bit more objective than we, we think about it. Like hmm. suppose these two roommates are arguing about crumbs or something like that. And the, the neat freak roommate says, hey, you know, every time that there's some crumbs out there, mice are coming into the apartment or rodents are coming into the apartment. Or if we don't pay our rent on time, then we get charged a late fee. And suppose the other roommate is like, oh, well, it's, you know, I don't care. We pay the late fee. Okay, there's some mice in the apartment or something. Is there ever a point? I wonder if there's ever a point where we could be like, hey, the neat freak has the objective truth in this matter. Like you don't want to have cockroaches infecting your food and making it unhealthy to eat. You don't want to incur these like late penalties. So I'm wondering like, even though there's a subjective power battle going between the differing standards, I'm wondering if there's ever a moment of like, no, the truth is clearly on the side of this roommate in this particular instance, or is everything just completely arbitrary? It's not hard. We, I think we face them every day. Yeah. I think that it's um, there. There are there are situations where the truth is one hundred percent in your face, and it is very obvious that that you are in the wrong. So for a situation like that, I think it comes down to a certain you know. So we have to deal with we have to deal with the hierarchy of things. So the first thing is you know, is there a roommate contract between them? Well, if there is, then we have to refer to that because that roommate contract has both been signed by them, and they're saying that this this paper is the is 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 the law by which we judge our standards. And if there isn't, then they have to address the the contract of the living situation, right? Mm -hmm. So sh does the does the landlord um, what what's the land what what does the landlord's because he's the next authority, he's the one who's given them the place to live, and usually tenants you know sign contracts and things like that. So what's what's the law of the land according to the landlord? Well, if that his doesn't answer it, what's the, what's the law of the land according to the, you know, um, what, I don't know, minister of living. I, I don't know what if there's. You know, <laughs> and yeah. then it goes up and, onto the law of the land and they say, OK, if there isn't any, this isn't like a part of law of the land. Then it comes, it goes down, it, come, it comes up to greater laws, to higher laws, at least if and it becomes, <laughs> if any of them actually do believe in higher laws. But I think it's a it's a it's a meeting or uh, um, a judging of um, of of the hierarchy is, is the judgment of the hierarchical laws over the situation to help them determine yeah that's very interesting because i think that 
you have to then have both parties actually mediate their values in a very long drawn out discussion like one in, like i'll give you a perfect example in this when you go to europe for example they don't believe yeah. in two things they don't really believe in air conditioning and they don't believe in having like screens in their windows so oh, yeah. It, yeah at night it's really common for all sorts of like bugs and stuff to fly in and they just they don't give a crap it just doesn't bother them whereas i come with my american sensibilities and i'm like well no i, I don't want this fly thing coming through you know like and you have that question because you have it you have this very complicated situation because it's like does the subjective reality of this locality triumph or do, can i be like hey guys i have a modest proposal here to put a screen into the window so that we don't have all of these bugs flying through the apartment or something like that yeah. and perhaps perhaps when it comes to everything periodic challenging of standards is really important right maybe yeah. maybe i should get into an argument with a french person or something like hey here's why you ought to have ac or here's why you ought to have a screen in your window or, or this that and the other thing and i might just lose they might actually serve me and they may have some really awesome reasons why they don't have those things in their house but i think that that periodic challenging is probably a healthy process because it allows me to 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 see if my ideas or my standards are correct. And it allows their standards to also be challenged and kind of through that, through that argumentation, actually see if there's a truth that can be arrived at. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, <laughs> that's one of the fun things about arguing, especially when you argue with people who are not just knowledgeable, but also pretty kind and patient. I think that it's who enjoy the arguments for the sake of the argument, not to break your proverbial nose. So it's, it's very, I think it's very helpful. And there is usually people come to the, that's, you know, usually when it's, when it comes to arguments like that, that have no ultimate consequences, uh, people, people are generally very laxed and there, I, I think there would be, there might be a consensus, but, um, but then again, humans. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> I want to kind of take this out of the apartment now and start talking more broader society. So yeah. one thing that I've always that makes that brings tears to my eyes is educational standards. I definitely have seen, I think, um, like a decrease in the amount of rigor that, that we have in our schooling. I'm not old enough to say if it was that much more rigorous before, but something tells me that it probably was just by the way people talk, the way people speak and the way yes. think. And there's a lot of people, Kenny, that are like, Aaron, you got to get with the times, man. You know, like, you know, it's okay to, you know, not think about things so deeply and whatnot. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a value in, in perhaps being more articulate or being able to more critically think or better express the thoughts that we have. And I, I, my objective truth in all of this is that the better we think, the better we can solve problems. That's what I kind of point to in this. Other people might argue and say, hey, to each their own. If I if I want to be a guy who just watches ESPN all day, leave me the hell alone, Aaron. Just leave me alone. Like you're you're imperializing me. You're superimposing your values of, of what an educated person stands for or what an education educated person is onto my life. I'm a happy dude. I like watching my ESPN. Leave me alone with all your garbage. And yep. I 
I hear them. I actually do hear them that like, why, why should my standard of what an educated person is or how an informed society should operate? Why should I keep fighting for that when the damn person just wants to be left alone on their easy boy? Well, you know, my, my view on these things is that, you know, you don't, you, you don't keep fighting for it mm. because just like, just like you wouldn't want him to oppose, you know, to impose his own crap on you. Sure. You don't want to do the same thing, even if you are absolutely right in the sense of, and that's one of the things that, that's happening today, right? So we, we keep hearing that there are no such thing as standards. And we keep hearing that, you know, um, get with the times. But the problem with that, the problem with that is that, you know, when they say there's no such thing as standards, that's a standard. That's a standard they're still opposing on you, you know? Mm -hmm, that's true. And you, and so, but nobody wants to acknowledge that. And nobody wants to, nobody, it's, it's, it's one of those things where the present is always insisting upon itself while at the same time canceling the past. It's like, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous, you know, but I would say that absolutely there are objective standards. There are, there, there are things that are better than others, you know, like I'd rather my son be able to do math than weave a basket. I just rather that, you know what I mean? Like it's just better now. So in, says, this, okay. in this day and age, of, of course. Well, yeah. Sure. <laughs> right? I mean, maybe maybe basket weaving was really important in some agricultural society, but yeah. Yeah, sure. If, even if it was important in that agricultural society, that agricultural society would have still benefited incredibly from mathematicians. Oh, that's a good point. It, so, it's, just, it's just there are things that are higher than others. Just like, I mean, um, that's why we have the difference between, you know, soft sciences and hard science. Soft science, well, they're soft. They're not as, you know, they're not as rigorous. Well, hard science, you know, you have to be a freaking, oh my goodness, uh, made out of, made out of, you know, sold your soul to the devil and me. <laughs> that rocket, that rocket's not going anywhere. If, you're, if your hard science becomes soft, well, then you're going to have a lot of rockets exploding. <laughs> <laughs> oh bollocks so i i think you know i think that i think there are there, there are there are standards that we we refuse to acknowledge if we refuse to acknowledge that there are any standards and by and by doing that creating a certain kind of standard mm -hmm. we are we are we are dealing in all kinds of um irrationality yes yeah i think this also connects to what we talked about last week about uh, collectivism versus individualism in the sense that if there is no standard at all, right? If everyone is kind of just allowed to do whatever it is that they want to do or whatever standard that they want to live their life by, well, then society starts really crumbling at its knees. It starts just falling apart. If, if, if somebody just can call themselves a, a physician or a doctor without any standard, without any needing any medical credentials whatsoever, well, everyone you visit is going to be a quack and is going to be telling you to drink bleach or do other crazy, ridiculous things that are going to bring harm to you. So we can't, yep. we, we can't, we can't live, we, we have to be real with ourselves and say that in order to live in a society or to live in a world that's even remotely desirable, there has to be standards. If there are no standards, we will have doctors telling us to drink bleach or do other incredibly stupid stuff. So anyone who says like anyone who's like a hundred percent postmodernist and says, I don't believe in society and standards, man, be, be as you own. If you want to uh, play video games all day and blah, you know, I'm like, all right, dude, you know, let, let imagine 100% of the people in this world are following that mantra. 
what the hell are we going to look like in like two years from now? Yeah, but even if the person, I mean, so for example, the person is the, the person describing his stance on no standards while making standards and using the standards of the English language to defend his non-standard position. It's just <laughs> that was a mouthful. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't believe in standards, but I'm gonna wear I'm gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna walk out naked spitting gibberish and maybe standing on my 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 two hands. So no there there, there are standards. There are absolutely standards and it's 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 a certain kind of it's a certain kind of mind that doesn't want standards. And it's a very, there are two kinds of mind that don't want standards. Uh-huh. One is very terrifying. And the other one is, I would say, just just a little bit, you know, it's just a little bit of understandable. Yeah. We actually solved one thing in this, in, in the just, you know, I think 30 minutes into this discussion. There's no such thing as no standard. And I think, I think no. you, you put it eloquently because even the idea of no standard is a standard within itself. And I think you're absolutely right. And even that person that has no standard, I guarantee you, if they, let's just say, ordered a pizza and that pizza just never came, I really doubt that that person is going to be like, oh, well, there's no standards. It's okay. I paid, uh, you know, $15.95 for a pizza that never came, you know, such as the world. You know, I, I that person's going to be cursing and yelling and be like, why? I ordered that pizza three hours ago. It didn't come. You know, so like if, if people are really being real with ourselves, if we're all being real with ourselves, we all have standards. Now, the question is setting who gets to set the bar? right? Who gets to set the bar as to where those standards should be? And I think that's the next step in this conversation. Yeah, all anarchists, everyone's an (laughs) anarchist until they get punched in the face. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, who gets to set the bar? And that's, this is the, this is a very interesting question. This is two, two possibilities. Okay. The first possibility is that there is a God, this world was created by an ultimate creator, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, or whatever, however you want to place it. And he and he's made standards for the world that he's created, just like, you know, when a person creates a whatever, there's a certain kind of code or standard that goes into the system. Mm-hmm. And so there are objective standards. Now, the objective and everlasting standards. The second one is that, okay, there is no God and there is, you know, this world is just, you know, it came out of um, years, billions of years of, you know, um, chance and, 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 and whatever, whatever else goes into that. And we came about like little um, ape people and eventually created society. And so if, you're de- if it, this is beautiful, because if you're dealing, it, it depends on the person you're dealing with. And so the, 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 the first one, the standards are pretty clear. It's the, it's the, he who made all things should be the one who has, you know, the stand, who has set up the standards for all things. So that's pretty clear. It's just self, you know, self-evidence in a way. The other one, however, is pretty interesting. When it comes to human beings, the standards now are become very interesting in the sense of it's the person with the most guns that sets the standards. The person with the most guns, the most, the most walk the walk, talk the talk, shoot them up, that sets the standards. So for example, in the United States of America, to some extent, the governments since, you know, um, since, the, since the founding of this nation has set the standards for the nation. Why? Because they have a military that can deal with you. And America really does set the standards for most of the world. And the same thing in a household, the person, the, the father, or depending on the household, the mother, the, it's just simple. The person with the most guns, the power sets the standards. 
I, I do want to push back in a, in a few areas. And, and hmm. I think this is going to lead to some interesting stuff here. So I actually think that there's a third option. And I, oh, yeah, this, this, this applies to whether you're an atheist or whether you believe in God. I think that there's always a set of standards. However, those set of standards evolve with context and with time. That, that's something like, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you an example of this. Please take, do. take an issue such as universal healthcare. Okay. Yep. 2000 years ago, that's not a standard because we actually don't even have the, the frame of mind or the necessity to have such a thing. Like we have other necessities that we need to attend to, right? Like if you're a hunter gathering society, yeah. Chris, your necessity, your standard is catching a buffalo so you don't starve to death. That's the standard for your hunter gathering society. My standard is just to simply catch buffalo so that I can live. That's the standard of that time. As time progresses though, having food just becomes like par, you know, par the course. It's just like we take it for granted. Then new standards start to impose themselves, such as the need to have air conditioning or the need to have universal health care or something to that effect. And I think that those standards are just as real depending on the context in which you live in. So, you know, people are like, well, the, the only true standard is hunting that buffalo, right? And I'm like, well, that's the standard of that context of that pin of that of that point in history and that's fair mm. enough i think that these standards evolve and change with time and that they they are up for grabs even if you believe in god i still think that you can believe in this because i think that fundamentally god wants you to do the right thing within the context in which you live. So if you're if you're living in a Neolithic age in a hunter-gathering society, society, I don't think God is like, well, that's nice. Now where's your universal health care? Right? Because you, you you're not in a position to worry about that, right? You need to catch your food and survive. However, as society progresses and you are in a position to be more charitable or you are in a position to afford people more things, then perhaps God's judgment is sort of uh, coming into the equation where he's like, you know, you guys are pretty darn wealthy. Maybe it's about time you start giving free checkups to seven-year-olds, you know? So that's that's where I kind of see morality coming from. I, I see that whether, and again, this actually works whether you're a God-fearing person or an atheist, you can have morals that start rising. Like I think that standard rises as, as the level of comfort increases. To some extent, I agree. So it's like... Um... I, I do believe that time does change. Time does change um, certain standards or certain uh, certain different points in history cause about for certain 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 standards, right? Yeah. But those standards are they don't just they don't just come out of thin air. Like it doesn't just we don't say oh it's two thousand two thousand and you know um, two uh, twenty two thousand twenty one. You know, 2021. It's time for universal healthcare because that's it's stand. It's 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 that it's our period. It's 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 the healthcare era. No, it's standards just don't come out of thin air. Someone pushes those standards. It begins somewhere. It be, it begins at a point, and that's that's what I mean by that's what that that's what that's what I mean by the power in the sense of there is no there is no standard that comes out of that comes out of thin air. 
somebody pushes for it somebody somebody um somebody writes the legislation somebody pushes for the law somebody backs the law up now the idea the idea for talking about okay so the idea of um the idea of universal health care and dealing with and i guess i guess i guess the idea even the i going back to the idea I, I would I would still say that I think you're right. I, I think you're right about the that time that time does influence it, but it's ultimately people that back it up, people that bring it to life. You know, when you say it's people that influence it, I agree with you. But what I think is underlying people uh, pushing for it is the capacity. I think the the mm. key word here is capacity to offer something. So mm. if you're living in a time period where we don't have the capacity to offer something, it can't be the standard, right? Like if we just no. don't have that capacity to offer it, okay, we don't need to follow that standard. Like, you know, it's it's kind of like when a father says something like, hey, son, I can't afford that. Well, okay, it's it's the standard is beyond that father's capacity to provide it. Now it becomes more of a, a moral issue that's up for grabs is that when that father can afford something or when it when he does have the capacity to provide that. And I think if we uh, kind of expand that to the larger society, when a society is able, was, has the capacity to offer something, then that issue suddenly becomes a moral question, right? If they don't have the capacity, it can't be a moral question. Once a society reaches a level that it can offer that thing, then, then, then the standard, then we can start having like a standards um, debate. Yeah, but it depends now. So, for example, in a situation where a society can uh, can afford to do something and chooses not to, I I don't know that it becomes such a it becomes a moral moral question, and and I could be wrong. So help me out here, because so just because you can do something, you, even if it's something good, doesn't mean that necessarily that you should. Because it's 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 still at the end of the day, it still comes down to it still comes down to the persons or the people's the people's own choices, you know what I mean? Um, so the, can, the, stand, the standard, and then it, it, the, the big question now becomes even upon the society or the, or the individuals in the society, what's, 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 we come back to, what's the standard? What's, so in a world where, let's just say in a world where everybody's doing, giving, giving their citizens universal healthcare or you know, nationwide healthcare for free, mm-hmm. and the United States can, you know, is not, w- w- wouldn't do that, is the United States is the United States held to the rest of the, the held to the standards of the rest of the world, or does the United States have the capacity because it's its own nation to have its own standard apart from the world? That's that's a brilliant question. Um, because, so I think that the standard, man, I I think you actually put the uh, the tennis ball back in your court because I, I think you're right that the United States might have the capacity to offer universal health care. But if the citizens of the country just simply don't want it, then then you are then you are right that the citizens do have that 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 control over it. Assuming that you know, and again, other people might point well, the citizens aren't informed properly, or they don't know, or they're being misled. So I, I think we would have to have perfect information or close to perfect information and the citizens are truly making that informed decision of like because for example if i'm a politician and i say well we can't afford it or it wouldn't work for blah 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 if i'm telling the truth fair enough 
If I'm lying though, and I'm tricking people to, to consent to something which is untrue, well then yeah. that, that's not moral when it, within itself. So if the citizens had perfect information or close to perfect information, and yeah. then they decided that's not a standard that this particular civilization holds or this particular country, again, like it's, it's like Sparta versus Athens, right? Sparta had just a different set of standards, right? And yeah. the citizens of that uh, city state consented to those standards. So if we have perfect information and we just decide, nope, I, we would rather have more tanks or, you know, um, jet planes or whatever. And we, that's how we want to spend our tax, <laughs> our tax dollars. Okie dokie, yeah. you know, that's, that's the consent of the governed in that sense. But yeah, I think I think it would require us to be a you know very informed. Yeah, and at the end of the day, so you know that's why earlier I, was, I mentioned that if 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 you remove the equation, if you remove the reality or the equation of the, of God, then the country, the the ultimate power for standards has to be the biggest nation. It has to be the nation that can impose its will on other nations, because there is it, it has to be power that sets the standard. It has to be, it has to be um, um, something big enough to impose its will on, on everyone and everything else. So if China ever took over the world, we'll, be, we'll all be living by Chinese standards. It's just that simple. Mm -hmm, Whether yeah. you're an American, Canadian, or Australian, it's all going to be Chinese, um, um, Chinese standards because they've done it. They've backed up your talk with, with, with guns. And if you if you disobey those standards, there'll be punishments and so forth. Um, let me let me ask you this question: Do you think yes, that sir. standards could ever arise, not just through the yoke of arms and oppression, but could actually arrive just through intelligent discourse? So, for you know, for for example, like let let's just say I, let, let, let just, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm just wondering if if they, if it, it's always it's always just like I have the guns, I have the power, I'm gonna. Inf my, maybe, maybe there's some way that that oppressive force can be reasoned with, can be talked to and be like, hey, here's why, even though you've got control in this particular situation, here's why that standard is just not the right way to go. Here's a different set of standards. Do you think there's any kind of ground to compromise or do you think it's just, because I, I, I do think that countries change. I think nations change. I think the standards that, you know, like, you know, take the issue of slavery, for example, yes. that was a standard that the United States had and believed in and imposed upon its sovereign territories. However, over time, that standard was challenged, right? That the standard was challenged. With and guns. With, gu with, with guns. I, I guess, okay, let's take, let's use another example. How about woman having the right to vote? We'll use that hmm. one, okay? Because the woman having the right to vote was not achieved with guns. It was just eventually we just passed a law. And not necessarily because the women having rights to votes was um, we, one could say that the 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 battle the battle for the freedom of slaves was actually quite uh, part the, the women's rights was actually quite a part of that because it was shortly after that that um, um, the laws for women also started changing. And so it's the people with the quote unquote right ideas that won the war and began, began to implement those ideas because they didn't just stop with slavery. They moved on to women's rights and so forth. So if, if the other side would have won, it may have been a very different story in their view of women's rights and so forth. So um, I, I would still have to say that it's because the right people won with their guns 
that women's rights actually exists, or should I say, uh, it may still like, have existed today, but I would say it existed in the in in the in the in the way that it did. Man, that might very well be the case that be, because like the union won and they were anti-slavery and also sort of kind of pro-women's rights. I, I guess I can't think of an example right right off off my bat. Without the usage of, let's say, military might or arms, do you think it's ever possible to just change an oppressor's mind with just sound reason and with sound logic and sound sound ideas? I'm thinking no. even never. Never. And here, so let, let me let me tell you something. So when I'll, in my lifetime, I, I'm about 29 years old. I turned 29 this year. In my hey. lifetime, my <laughs> my family has been robbed twice. Armed men with guns came into our into our into our lives. Oh the God. first time I was about four years old. I remember it clearly. Actually, first time I was about four years old, and some people were shot in my neighborhood in Nigeria. And um, the second time I was about. Um, 13 no 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 the second time i was sorry i was about 10 10 or 11 and both times i remember that people were my people were hiding and running and no sorry the first time people were hiding and running my uncle uh who was very young at the time probably my age now had to jump off you know out of a you know two-story building which is where we lived so that they wouldn't find him because what happened in nigeria especially back then in the early 90s was that um armed robbers felt very threatened by the presence of young men so they would really beat them up and humiliate them so that the young man know, knew not to try anything and so he had to escape because you know it would have been a very dangerous situation for him now these are people coming into your home with guns to take your stuff this is how war works war is people invading coming into your home with guns to take your stuff women children and um what's it called um treasures right so war is basically a how you say a legitimate form of robbery it's just is it's the only form of robbery that throughout history we're like yeah that's just yeah that's just war right so when there was no way in hell my mother or father, well, my father wasn't, wasn't in, the, in the house at the time. Uh, if he was, that may have been a different story because he's a wild man. But my, there was no way um, my mother or even anybody else there could have reasoned with those armed men. It's just not possible. There is no, there is no, unless you are some sort of gifted, um, um, I don't know, witch. <laughs> who can who can not only freeze them give them some sort of temporary paralysis and then speak to them before they can do you great harm so i, I think that people human beings i know that i think the human beings are fundamentally good i believe that i i'm cha i've changed my view on that because this i realized something recently but i think that we are also very very conceited and very arrogant and very ego is just so much ego in the human experience you know what i mean and that ego deals with us harshly um, in consequence and in, in consequence we deal with others harshly i've never been in an argument where a person says you know what you've made some very good points sir and uh, i will i will can i will change i change my mind i concede it's just not possible it's not, it's possible excuse me but it doesn't happen often and even less often when a man has a gun in your face well, Kenny, let me just say, um, sir, you have changed my mind, and I can see it. Don't say that. <laughs> okay, I, I, look, I 100% I hear you. Now, 
I, 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 this is where I, I, here's where I'm going to agree with you. And here's where I'm going to disagree with you. Please do. I agree with you that you need to use some sort of force, but yeah. that force does not necessarily have to come in the form of more guns or more powerful weaponry. And, oh, hell no. no. And, and I would, I, the example I'll use is, you know, Mr. Gandhi, again, like he's, the British, in terms of firepower, in terms of arms, in terms mm-hmm. of military capability, hands down, could have put the uh, you know put the people of India into complete submission. But through yep. through nonviolent tactics, which by the way, mm. I'm going to label nonviolent tactics or boycotts. Like so, he used boycotts, you know, civil disobedience. These are all forms of force. Force, okay? they, aggression. They, they, they are, they are forms of for, force. It's, not, it's yeah. not just laying down and, and, you know, letting, you know, and be like, oh, please sort of, can you kind of leave over tea or something, you know, right? Like, oh yeah, you'll it, be trampled. It, 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 right, it is a form of force. So I would argue that you are correct that the opposing side must use a form of force. Now that yep. could be a boycott. It could be nonviolence. It could be civil disobedience. It could be something from that arsenal, but it need not be like ammunition. It need not be guns. How do you feel about yeah. that? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I just think I, I, I agree with that. Just simple and clear and cut. Yes, I agree with that. I just think that often in the, often the cases, especially when you're dealing with nations and sovereign states, that it's the, the 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 who are and who do become the the um, the executors of standards. When you're dealing with those guys, it's usually you know the the firepower, mm. as 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 a friend of mine would say. Um, <laughs> One, the other the other thing is is like sometimes when you're negotiating with the quote unquote firepower, yeah. maybe you can also impose your standard if you can prove to the firepower how this new standard will improve their way as well. Right. So like, yeah. if, you, if you, if you're like, Hey, I, I know that this is your standard, but if you kind of see it our way, you also might gain blah, blah, blah. So I think, I, I think that you do have to use force. It's not yeah. like you don't want to get on your hands and knees and beg and plead and cry and just, you know, be like, please, please follow my standards. Like, <laughs> right? like it's not, it, it's not like that, but I think that, <laughs> force but it need yeah. not be like like traditional muscle slash firearm force in order to, to impose your new set of standards no it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be at, at all i i agree with that absolutely it, it doesn't have to be but it often is the case now someone like gandhi is obviously very different because he had he had he was living his it's very interesting at least and i don't know the man very well i've heard good things and bad things so i i, I don't know him and it's something i actually need to i mean we um, went to high school together and i can tell you <laughs> oh yeah what did he what did he have for lunch that's that's what I, that's all i want to uh, know he was a vegan i think he was oh, a vegan, so he didn't eat. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to get him there okay <laughs> so yeah i thought i thought there are people like him and you know, even Martin Luther King, who would you know, they didn't they didn't raise a finger to hurt anyone. But and because they were very that's that takes a certain amount of imagination and character to execute that kind of non-lethal deadly force. It's just pure will, you know, just sheer force of will and um, and presence. And so, um, but those those that we they stick out in history because they're 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 the anomalies. 
you know they're the anomalies usually we have the we have what we have is the a very opposite we have poisonings shootings stabbings throwing off of cliffs um mm-hmm. bearing alive um in one nation invading another with a legion a legion of a soldier soldiers and so forth yeah well no, now here's one of the things where i think remember we talked how standards change throughout time so yes, i sir. think i think like for example if we were living in the Roman Empire or, or mm. any other time in history, if some Roman guard beat the crap out of me with their club or something like that, that's the standard, right? Like, n- n- But I think today, because we all have these walking video cameras in our back pocket, right? We're able to, we're kind of able to, to change the standards by a different means in the traditional uh, sort of brute force. So, I think that Gandhi was an outlier for his time. However, yes. I think those tactics, as we move forward, assuming assuming our level of technology stays the same or increases over time, I yes. think those types of people are going to become less outliers and more commonplace because we have different weapons of fighting one another. So, for example, if if someone beats someone else up and I capture that on video, that's a firearm right there. I'm using my phone as a firearm to capture video footage of someone else beating somebody else. And then people on social media go crazy and say, how dare this oppressive, whatever, do this to that. Right. So I think that the, the, like, there's still going to be force. Like if you, if you video record somebody and put it on social media and bring attention to it, it's a form of force, but it's quite different than the conventional form of force that was used during the Roman empire or the middle Ages or any other time in history. No, absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely force and it's a very, so for example, we have this whole situation, whether you believe in cancer culture or not. So I'll just say that, let me describe the situation, uh, rather than, you know, um, um, judge it in the sense of we, we have this situation in America where, you know, people lose their jobs because of certain certain something they tweet or say, and the public gets angry and upset and outraged, you know, and what they do is they harass this person online and often demand a person gets fired from their work. And and this is this is all part of a social movement, right? It's to change the standards of things. It's to change the standards of how people speak about race and gender and so forth, and um, and many other things. But and the, but this is how they go about it. It's a certain kind of force because a certain standard needs to be needs, a certain standard needs to be upheld. Mm. So the you find that. Um, in in each in each nation or in each time there are different so there are different kinds of standard 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 standard, standard wars <laughs> or sta- <laughs> my lord you know wars being fought in you know for different standards and uh, and in different ways whether whether you agree with the the movements or not the, the the idea is it's a tactic that's been that's been used for i would say for as far as i know and it works let me it ask works. You, that's, yeah let me ask you this question Let's say you have a Twitter war going on or a Facebook yes, war, whatever the hell it is that people do, right? Like, let's say someone's engaged in the Facebook war and they're one guy's posting this and then I post an article of this and an article of that and then this and that. 
Do you think that that type of war is more likely to arrive at truth than conventional I've got more guns than you kind of war? Do you think that that do you think that that war of arguing over Twitter is at a higher plane or a higher higher caliber of existence and a higher capacity of arriving at truth than just I have better guns and better artillery than you? No, I think it's I think it's down in the pits. I think it's far worse than that because when you're when you are fighting when you're fighting a proper and traditional war we we may as much as we may not like war there's a certain amount of glory and honor that's why we, we award soldiers the medal of honor there's soldiers are i think an incredible people and i think they deserve more honor than they get i think that's um actual war as brutal and it's because it's brutal it's because it's dirty it's because it's filled with carnage and death and blood and the things that we don't see any every day and things we don't even like to see or think about and these men and women go there with for their country and for their comrades to fight to the death to lose their lives and to take a life oh no there's absolute on honor there there is but sitting there on twitter and yelling yelling about you know about lindsay lohan's new whatever and arguing with whoever about even if it's a higher thing about let's just say you're talking about ethics and morality and you're arguing with somebody on twitter back and forth sure it may it may not be how you say um it may not be. It may not be rough with filthy language or you know insults and all that. It may be pretty civil, but it's nothing compared to the glory and the honor, and this, I would say somewhat undesirable beauty of war. I'm actually going to disagree with what you're saying. Now, no I, I I hear your point that if you're willing to risk your life for something, it's probably mm. a more worthwhile cause than, than some dude just typing at a computer. Because if, you know, if you're, you can argue nonsense, right? Like you can argue total nonsense from the safety mm-hmm. of your computer. You ask mm. a man to lay down his life and, and risk it. Um, it the, the cause that he, or he is fighting for must be more worthwhile. However, if you look at history, there's been a lot of wars that have been fought over nothing, just fought over utter complete nonsense. And I, I think of World War One, like, you know, Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated and this and that. I'm like, okay, great. You know, or Rome, who kind of just took over so many territories just to enslave people and, and take over their natural resources and, and so forth. So w- when I look at the history of wars, yeah, there have been some wars that were you know had like some kind of higher purpose like something like oh my god you know we have to do something to stop blah 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 but there's so many wars that have been started over um some king being insulted or being like you know oh my god you married my second cousin and how dare you not attend my um wedding or something you know like there's so many especially in europe there's so many of these like jealous monarchs starting wars with one another over petty pride, petty, petty little insults, petty little feelings of this and that or the other thing. And I, when, when I look at like why these wars were fought, I don't see that great of a reason of like, oh my God, you know, this was, you know, World War II, okay, we were, you know, preserving the free world and so forth. But there's so many other countless wars, Kenny, that have been fought because some duke or some king felt slightly insulted by another country. No, I totally agree. I mean, that's why if you heard me speaking earlier, I, I never mentioned the the reason for the war, because I don't think it matters. 
and you know someone might disagree with that um but i think that it's more about the soldier's choices to fight now when a, when a soldier gets up and fight even though he, even if he knows that he's fighting for a foolish and undeserving king absolutely but it's his bloody king it's just that simple it's his king and his country and his comrades i think that there is still honor there it doesn't matter that you're fighting over a toast piece of toast or some you know <laughs> tostitos pizza roll <laughs> oh, can you imagine but it doesn't matter that they're fighting over that is that the the country has called them and in spite of it being a complete bollocks reason to go they still go because it's their bloody country well hold on now because in this country as well as other countries there's something known as the draft where you didn't yeah. have a, you didn't really have a choice you had to fight in those wars because a lot of these wars that were started right you were you were conscripted you were drafted you're told if you don't fight in this war we're tossing you in jail or in other times in history your property could be taken away and so forth so i don't necessarily think there were probably some people who had quote unquote honor and voluntarily decided to fight in these wars but i think there's a huge chunk of people who are like wait a minute, if I don't fight for this king, it's not because I love this king. It's just that this king is going to throw me in jail or this, or, or worse yet, like what's the ultimate punishment in, in war for desertion? It's treason. You get, you get shot, right? Like if you, if you, you know, it, it's not that the soldiers are always so brave. It's just that if they desert and they're caught, they'll, they'll be shot. They'll be, they'll be tried for desertion and, and shot on the spot. So I don't necessarily think that these men were, were so brave and so glorious. I just think that there were consequences if they did not partake in those wars. Well, I, I do agree that some soldiers were drafted and I do, many soldiers were drafted and I do believe that some soldiers feared for their lives and so forth. But here's the thing, soldiers, soldiers are still no joke in the sense of, I think that even, if, even when soldiers are drafted and even when they, you know, they fear for their lives, um, I think that that I, per, I I believe that that's a minority of people. I think that there are, most soldiers are far more far more aware of the situation and far more willing to be in the situation. And if it's not for, if it's not for their even if it's not for their king, it's for the people standing next to them, them their mates on the line. I think that I mean I don't know if you've ever experienced. Um, something like a brotherhood in the sense of, and I, this is something soldiers feel very deeply. Um, and they communicate it a lot with their, not just their words, but their actions to one another. Even soldiers, soldiers after coming home from war, take care of each other's families. I think that when those men go, when men and women, when those guys go onto the battlefield, whether then or then or now, the camaraderie is still the same. It's still the same spirit. The soldier spirit is the same spirit. It's the same fighting spirit. Now, there's always going to be the outliers, and there's going to always going to be those anomalies in the situation. But I think that a majority of soldiers um, fight for, if not, if not for their country, if not, I doubt it. But if not, at least they fight for one another, you know, to keep each other alive. Th that I agree with. And as you were saying that, I was actually thinking about um, someone who's also, I've, I've had a veteran on this podcast by name of Dave, and he's actually a part of an organization called Veterans for Peace. And, and he fought 
uh, in the Vietnam War. I believe he was conscripted or drafted to fight in that. And I think I, I and he's a part of a lot of veteran organizations like, yes. you know, veterans suffering from PTSD and suffering from this. And I agree with you that if nothing else of, you know, a soldier will fight just to keep the men around them alive. And, and there's, some, there's something alive. beautiful and honorable about that. However, yeah. a lot of, you know, I want to say, I don't have the exact statistics on this. I think a good amount of Vietnam veterans, though, say, man, that war was for nothing, or that war was a waste of time, or we should never have fought yeah. that, that war. So I, I, yeah. I think that I, I think that the virtues of fighting the Vietnam War might have been just as nebulous or just as useless as some Twitter war for, for, for what was trying to be achieved. I think the, the men helping one another and trying to save each other and, and all that good stuff is at the highest level. That I agree with. But I'm saying the cause of that war and even the soldiers that were in that war now, you know, all these years later, m- most Vietnam veterans are like, yeah, we should never have been there. Like it was a mistake going in there. We didn't achieve anything. So I, I remain optimistic that I, I think that these wars that we fight on Twitter or whatever. Yeah, I get it. It's not as glamorous. It's not as there's not as much honor in. in <laughs> not, it's not glamour. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get I get this idea. That it's not glamorous. But I do think that there's more potential for those wars to be more grounded in logic, in reason, in evidence than just like, let's let's <laughs> you been on Twitter. <laughs> I, I, not, maybe maybe Twitter is the wrong venue. Okay? Maybe Twitter is the wrong venue. How about yeah. this? How about like maybe two professional pundits on television or two professional scholars kind of debating over a podcast yeah. or something something along those lines? I think that the yeah. virtues of those arguments are more examined than through just conventional warfare. You know, and I think oh. I think I think reputation actually can can really bring out the best in you and like no one when, when when someone is on a podcast or someone is in a professional debate no one wants to appear stupid right like you know you have your reputation that you're fighting for your convictions and all this other stuff and i think that people might actually fight harder for those things than if some king or some government arbitrarily tells you hey you, we're going to just send you here and you're going to fight in this uh, remote country thousands of miles away Boy, I mean, I, 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 I can see what you're saying. I still think that the war is, as far as much as I know that it's filled with a lot of, you know, bollocks. Um, I, I can't. I, I find it hard to compare it, and even, you know, um, on, um, allow the, in at least in my mind, to see that the Twitter, the Twitter, the conversational, the conversational warring or the conversational sparring to be in any way far more. Um, I, I guess I guess it, it depends. It depends on what we're dealing with because, you know, on the conversational level, ideas are being exchanged, and it's really at the end of the day, it's the ideas that really do run the world. Because at the end of the day, soldiers are fighting for ideas. Is the ideas of is the ideas of a, of one man that may bring about a war. And so I think that ideas do have that power. In the sense of they they do have they do have that power to really determine the fate of a nation, or the fate of a people, and so on on that level I would say that yes that that conversation is vitally important. Imagine if somebody had sat down with, um, either uh, Hitler or you know some other you know um, Pol Pot or whatever, and conversed with them when they were teenagers, 
or when they were not, you know in their in their in the early stages of those catastrophic uh, ideas that they were they were they were they were beginning to deal with and change their minds imagine if that was the case then soldiers wouldn't have had to die so i can understand that and i do believe i do believe that the ideas and the conversations are important but as cynical as you know you know you know i'm cynical <laughs> i think i think that people i think that people really change their minds over conversation i think a man is you know often often just so we, we, we're filled with so much like you said we don't want to look stupid and what's what's what makes us look more stupid at least to us in our minds we don't we don't know that in fact it makes us look it makes sometimes it makes us depending on if it's true and how we do it it makes us look actually pretty darn good when we change our minds for the better but we feel stupid we feel we don't want to look stupid so i'm just gonna you know i'm gonna argue this out to the very dead dead bones even though i know i'm dead wrong I don't want to look stupid. My kids are watching, my wife is watching, and so forth. Okay. Let's let's maybe I think we can find a compromise somewhere in the middle here, right? So let's just say we have an evil dictator and he mm. you know he's ruling his country. And I, I think you're right. I think that even the best speakers, the most diplomatic men, we ambassadors and whatnot we're unable to change this person's mind, right? Like they, mm. they will not be changed. They don't want to appear stupid or weak and they just won't change their mind. Fair, fair enough. I, I agree with you. I can see that kind of situation happening, but I think there's other ways to kind of fight that mental war. And that could be, we're not going to trade with you anymore, or we're going to, we're not going to pay attention to you anymore. We're going to ignore you. Uh, we're not going to recognize you as a country anymore. We're going to try and, instill ideas you know through your youth right like you know there's a lot of there's a lot of wars going they, they say that there's like a lot of proxy wars going on between russia and the united states through through media and bots and all this other stuff so i i feel like the landscape has changed where we're not giving up force right like we're, we're not gonna like if if our verbal arguments don't win there's other ways of force that we, we can sort of use in order to, to win I think that those are forceful. Like, you know, people don't realize that when you actually have an embargo on another country and you don't trade with them, people starve to death. A lot of people think, oh, they're just not getting the, the latest Nike shoes over there. But when you actually, when one country imposes an embargo on another, the people starve. Like if, if, if they're, if they're reliant on that trade for food. Yeah. They're, they're very well. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, that well is, that is actually brutal force in itself. But I, I think that there's ways where you can, if the, if the verbal argumentation is not working, I think there are other ways that you can apply pressure and apply force. If, if you can't change that ruler, ruler's mind, you can actually change the people underneath that ruler to be like, well, we need to overthrow this guy, right? Like we, 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 this guy is not running the country properly. There's an embargo going on over here. And then you get that, the people, the subordinates of that ruler to overthrow that ruler and then impose like some new law. So I, I think that the the dynamics and the, the, the ways that we're going to be using force are going to look a lot different in the ways that they were before. You're right. You know, maybe maybe a good old fashioned conversation won't do the trick, but there's there's other ways that we're going to be hammering this nail. Yeah, I, I don't I don't underestimate the human um, the human capacity to be creative when it's when when applying force. Uh, should I say to get what 
it wants. Mm -hmm. It will do just about anything. So if you put that as a collective will of, you know, government officials and um, just the, the collective will of a nation, the nation's will, which is a collection of multiple wills and, and, and intellect, you find that countries can get incredibly creative in getting what they want from other countries and dealing harshly with the with 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 opposing nations. So, yeah, I think I think force is is always going to be a, is always going to be the second conversation. The first conversation is tries to be civil. At least mm -hmm. it usually tries to be civil. It's not always civil, but the first conversation at least it's a conversation. But the second conversation is force. Yes. Now, I, to kind of bring this conversation to a close and return to the. Mm. Um, the idea of standards once again. I think yes, sir. One, one other thing that we have in our arsenal is if you want to impose your standards, do it by example. And, um, and I think the best, the best example <laughs> of this would be what happened between the United States and the Soviet Union. Because I think what ended up happening is that the United States just got wealthier, wealthier, wealthier. We had newer cars, newer stuff, newer freedoms, more food to eat. And we didn't, it wasn't so much the United States, the United States telling the Soviet Union, you should live like us. You should have newer cars. You should have this. But over time, the people in the Soviet Union and in the uh, sat satellite countries saw little glimpses, little pieces, little pieces of evidence of how people in the Western world lived. And they said, we want this. We want this standard. We want their standard to become our standard. So I think that yeah. there's, there's, there's going to be a, this new war where countries, people are going to just start living a certain way and by a certain standard. And yep. that's going to be the way in which the standard spreads. So for example, if, if you want people to be in great shape, for example, just in, in terms of fitness, right? It's never going to happen by you need to go to the gym or you need to eat healthy and blah, blah, blah. But if enough people start jogging outside without a shirt on and, and they're rippling six pack abs or whatever, you know, that standard is just, <laughs> right? that, that, that standard is now just spreading around you. Right. Like, so yeah. I think that's probably the best way to kind of impose new standards is to just start living those by those standards yourself. And then other people will kind of want what you have. Yeah. I show it's the matter of show don't tell. And I, I, I do, I do agree with that. Absolutely. Uh, Kenny, thank you so much. I, I think this conversation, I, I hold it in a high standard. So thank you so much for being a You're part of it. You're damn straight, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, sir. This concludes the 123rd episode of the Truth Island Podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.